This is episode 187, and the tables have been turned. My content specialist, Anya Mullen, is interviewing me about my personal training, the history of strength running, and what's coming next. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to is quite different from other episodes. My content specialist, Anya Mullen, who helps me with the podcast and other projects here at Strength Running, had the idea to interview me about my past, my present, the origins of Strength Running, and exciting new projects on the horizon. We have a lot of new listeners as the show grows, and this episode is a nice introduction to who I am, what I believe in, and how I can help you become a better runner. But before we start, I want to make sure we're all traveling to the same meet today. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists. Our goal is to give you the knowledge, the mindsets, and tools to elevate your running performances. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, When you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a wiser and more productive athlete. By the way, if you haven't yet, go to YouTube and join our community there. The Strength Running YouTube channel has more than 42,000 subscribers and hundreds of videos on weightlifting for runners, injury prevention, how to run with better form, and a lot more. Search us on YouTube, subscribe, and you'll see every video we publish on a weekly basis. And, of course, If you've never visited our website, this is where it all began, strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is made possible by Beam. They make electrolytes and other supplements to help you optimize your training and feel better. Go to beamtlc.com and use code JASON to save 15% on your order on anything they offer. My new favorite is their Dream Mix for better sleep. It tastes like cinnamon hot chocolate, and it's been helping me sleep like a baby over the last few weeks. If you sign up for a monthly subscription, that's already 20% off, so your discount code is worth 35% off your first month. Go to beamtlc.com, use code JASON at checkout, and improve your hydration and sleep today. Okay, folks, this episode is an interesting one. I'm on the other side of the microphone answering questions from my assistant, Anya, all about my personal life, strength running as a business, my past running and upcoming goals, and future projects here at Strength Running Headquarters. I hope you find this insight into me and strength running helpful. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Anya Mullen. Hey, Jason. Thanks for agreeing to do an interview. I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit better and bring this conversation to your audience who I think will enjoy learning more about you as well. Thanks, Anya. How the tables have turned. I know. I appreciate the opportunity. I came up with a long, long list of questions, and I think we'll just kind of open up the conversation, but I wanted to learn more about you personally, um, get to know you from the perspective of running a little bit better. And I'm very curious about strength running as a business um, and your experience as an entrepreneur, uh, how you grew the uh, blog to begin with and kind of what the future holds. Well, I'm excited. Thanks. This isn't uh, usually a conversation I have a lot. So uh, I think it's a good time for it too. With the growth of the podcast, I think we have a lot of new listeners and it's probably a good opportunity for, you know, just everyone to to know who I am. Yeah. Um, so Jason, you've been running, it seems like for over two decades. And I'm curious, what keeps you going in this sport? Oh, you're making me sound old. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I've been running since 1998. And, you know, for most of my running career, I was singularly focused on becoming a better runner. I wanted to be faster. I wanted to improve my capability as an athlete. 
And, you know, I, I kind of grew up almost on a cross country and track team, you know, whether that was at the high school level. And then when I went to Connecticut College in 2002, um, you know, I did three seasons of, of running for four years uh, in both high school and college. And I was so focused on getting better. I wanted a PR every time I raced. And of course, that didn't happen. But that was what I was so interested in. And that continued after college when I started getting into you know, all kinds of different races, longer road races. I did some triathlons, even a duathlon. Um, and things are a little bit different right now. You know, I'm not 24 anymore. I'm pushing 38 years old. Uh, I do have three kids and, and obviously strength running, uh, takes up a lot of my time, but for me, you know, I get out almost every day. I would say I probably run five to six days a week now, and I'd probably like to run more <laughs> if I could, but for me right now, what is so interesting is, you know, I like to maintain my fitness level uh, at a certain level so that I can go do adventures. And right now I am so interested in just having fun with my running, you know, living in Denver is such a treat because I can go into the mountains and just go on some epic trail runs. And I want to be able to have the fitness to be able to go have those kinds of adventures. And so for me right now, that's really what's so exciting about running. You know, yes, there's the, the health benefits of it. Uh, there's, you know, the space it creates in my life, the, the mental space it, it has for me. And I think that's really valuable too, especially as a, you know, business owner and a father, there's not a lot of time for me to be alone. And so I really value my, my daily run for that. But, you know, I, I'm still also training, you know, I'm doing a, a longer run every week. I'm doing strides. I'm doing strength work. I'm doing some kind of a workout. It's just all scaled down to a more manageable level for me now. You know, it's not the 80 to 90 miles a week like I used to run, uh, but it's a level that allows me to, you know, still have energy to play with my kids. And, and then on the other side of things, still have the fitness to go into the mountains and do some fun runs. That's awesome. I, I hope you'll have the opportunity for more adventures as the world slowly begins to open up and maybe some races even. Um, and I do want to ask you more about your running and aspirations there. But first, can you share a little bit about your upbringing and where you grew up and if you had a family of athletes or if you're kind of a lone runner? <laughs> I am kind of a lone runner. I think I was the first person in my family to, you know, start being involved in organized sports. But, you know, I grew up outside of Boston. Some of the listeners would probably remember me saying, you know, I am from Boston, so I can be a little direct. It's just <laughs> part of my upbringing there. Um, but yeah, I grew up outside of Boston. Uh, I was the first person in my family to really be involved in in sports. And, you know, that really helped me uh, I think stay out of trouble because I was certainly a kid who who maybe was getting into too much trouble before I <laughs> discovered running, and uh, it, then it helped me get into college, and that was a truly rewarding experience for me when I was able to you know compete at the college level and and still be engaged with the sport that you know I I, I loved for so long, but you know I wasn't always a runner. I was actually a basketball player before I started running. And so I was always fairly active. You know, we, we spent a lot of time on Cape Cod over the summer with my grandparents' summer home. So, you know, I was at the beach all day swimming and snorkeling and running around with my cousins. And then I was playing basketball all the time. But, you know, unfortunately, I stopped growing after about eighth or ninth grade. And I had to say bye to my basketball dreams. And as a five foot seven runner, I think I made the right decision. <laughs> it, it definitely sounds like it. You have the body type uh, for a runner. So I'm glad that stuck for you. Um, so you mentioned you have um, three kids, you're married. How has it been uh, running a business from home and having pretty much, I assume, everybody at home over the last year? It's been very easy. No problems at all. No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> I've actually been very fortunate that over the last year, uh, besides the end of the previous school year, so like March through July or March through June, yeah, my family was home. The schools were closed. My wife is a teacher and she was teaching remotely from home. And that certainly was challenging having three kids at home. You know, my kids right now are just about eight and six. And then my youngest is about three and a half. 
So we certainly have a, a full house of crazy little kids running around and it's never quiet, but it's also also a lot of fun. And I'm fortunate that this current school year, uh, my wife's school has opened back up. She teaches at a private school. My middle daughter uh, goes to that school. So she's been able to go to school and daycare for my youngest has also been open. My oldest has been going to a forest school. So she's outside all day, which is you know, most of the day. And, and that's been really great. We wanted to, to give her that opportunity. And I think it's been really good for her. So I do feel fortunate that I haven't had my entire family home all day, every day for the last, you know, nine months or so, because it it is very challenging. Uh, But I'm glad that, you know, we've had some options with, you know, childcare and things like that. Yeah, I've always been impressed with how quiet the background of your podcast recordings is, that there aren't screams and cries and shouts. So it seems like you guys are managing it as well as can be in these times. And a huge shout out to my wife. It's actually spring break right now. And she has taken my two daughters to the park because I'm doing back-to-back podcast recordings. So she's an absolute rock star that supports me 100%. Amazing. I'm glad to hear it. Um, so when you when you and I met, you had recently moved to Colorado, I believe, I'm curious why you guys decided to make the move and what you've liked um, about living here and anything maybe that you dislike or are missing about the East Coast. Yeah, we moved to Colorado in 2014. And the real reason was because we, we didn't really have to live anywhere. The beauty of strength running is that I can kind of operate it anywhere that I am. And at the time, my wife had uh, quit her teaching job. We had went to Hawaii, Australia, and New Zealand for about three months to travel. Uh, and then when we came back, you know, she was pregnant with our first child at the time. And we were really thinking, you know, where do we want to be? Where do we want to live? We were living outside of Washington, D.C., but, you know, we had really no big reason to stay there. You know, we had n- initially moved there for her job, and then I had found a job uh, working in the environmental field. And, you know, then I quit, I started strength running, I was doing that full time. And I thought Colorado would be an amazing place to be because, um, you know, the, the kind of normal things that people look at, you know, the weather uh, was an improvement. Uh, I really liked the, uh, you know, the, the running scene in the Denver Boulder area. And I thought that would help strength running as well as just be really interesting to me as a big running nerd. So I've been fortunate to go up to Boulder and, you know, moderate panels with some pro runners and and do all kinds of things that I wouldn't have been able to do if we had stayed right outside Washington, DC. Um, and you know, the only, the the honest answer to what do I miss or, you know, what is the drawback of living in Colorado is that I don't have a ton of family here. My sister does live here, so that's great. But yeah, with three kids, it would be great if we could you know, leave them all with the grandparents for a weekend. (laughs) Definitely. I have that advantage with my family in Denver and it's, it makes a huge difference. You're right. Well, we're happy you're here and I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying the benefits of Colorado because I, I feel lucky to have randomly ended up in Colorado. And it's interesting to hear people's stories of why they specifically choose the area to live in. Yeah, we also liked the fact that, you know, the cost of living was lower than Washington, D.C. And, you know, now that I live here and I practically can, you know, go outside my front door and see the mountains, you know, I have to go down the block a little bit, but I don't think I can ever live anywhere where I'm just not surrounded by so much natural beauty. It is just such an amazingly beautiful place to live just to be able to see the mountains and then knowing that I can drive out there and experience the mountains. That's something special. We're very lucky here. I agree. So let's talk a little bit more about your running. I'm curious to hear what has been your biggest accomplishment. Ooh, biggest accomplishment. You know, that's a great question. I could, I could, you know, look at any of my PRs that I'm really proud of, uh, from, you know, my 239 marathon PR was, was something that, you know, I had to overcome a lot to do that. And I I think it's one of my more competitive race times. 
I'm also really proud of my my 10-mile PR. I don't know why I, I love the 10-mile distance, but it's just such a fantastic race distance. You know, I ran 54.50 for 10 miles. That is a time that I'm very proud of. Um, but I think one of the things that I'm most proud of is that I, I didn't just stop running at any point. I, I kept running in college, and then I kept running after college. And both of those transition points are when a lot of runners stop running. You know, they, they compete in high school, but then, you know, they go to, go to a big D1 school and they don't run. Or they graduate college and they get a real job and their time is stretched thin. And of course, they can't keep running all those miles anymore. And I'll never forget what one of my college coaches told me. He was like, you know, my 20s after I graduated college was dominated by running. I was running 120 miles a week and racing all the time. And I didn't run some of my best times until my late 20s. And I just couldn't imagine not having that experience because it effectively doubled or more than doubled my running career. And I always thought about that. And every time I was, you know, getting up at five in the morning to go run 12 miles in a Massachusetts winter by myself in the cold and the dark, or, you know, just the grind of high mileage weeks, or I was out alone on a track doing a workout. I would always ask myself, why am I doing this? I don't have to do this. I don't, I'm not going to disappoint my coach or my teammates because I don't have them. But then I always realized, well, what else would I be doing right now? Would I just be sleeping in? Would I just be, you know, spending an extra hour at the office? And I think it's so easy to quit. It's easy to not be consistent. And I, looking back over my running career, I am just thrilled that I've been consistent enough because it opens up more opportunities. It just allows you to continue building fitness. It allows you to have more experiences, to, to meet new people. And, you know, I just wouldn't have the life that I have now if I wasn't consistent with my running. So I think one of my biggest accomplishments or the things that I'm most proud of is just you know, the entire body of work over the last, you know, 22 plus years or so. I see that reflected in your coaching and the content you put out a lot about the emphasis on consistency and longevity in the sport. And I can see why that's something you're particularly proud of. Um, And in contrast to that, can you share one of your greatest setbacks in running? Yeah, that's also a great question. I you shared some of these questions with me earlier and I was trying to think of some big setback. And you know, I've had pretty much every injury that there is and you know, those are all minor setbacks, I think. You can get over an injury fairly quickly in the grand scheme of things. And I do think I have that benefit of a very long, you know, timeline of of hindsight behind me. You know, it's over 20 years. So if I had to miss a week or two here and there, you know, that doesn't really bother me now that I'm thinking about it. I think the biggest setback for me was a really pivotal moment in my running career because I really did almost quit. This was the time when I was the closest to to just stop stopping competing as, as an athlete. And that was after my first marathon. I had run the New York City Marathon in 2008. I had a pretty good race. Um, I hit the wall at mile 20 and, and really crashed hard in a very cliched fashion. But, you know, I finished and, you know, I, I thought I had a decent time. It wasn't exactly the race that I wanted. But what happened afterwards really shook me. And it was, you know, I think I took a week or maybe 10 days off. I started running a couple times after the marathon. And very quickly, you know, my knee just started having intense pain. And, you know, a lot of listeners will probably know the story. This is my sixth month IT band injury where I didn't do any running. And I was just seeing physical therapist after physical therapist. I wasn't getting better. I was not exercising at all. It wasn't like I was trying to stay fit with any kind of cross training. I wasn't doing any strength work. And I was not in a good place. And and I really thought that, you know, after a couple months, you know, this is it. My competitive career is over. You know, maybe I'll have a resurgence in my 40s like a lot of people do, but I'm done. And in hindsight, I'm almost glad that that happened because that moment is really what helped start strength running back in 2010. I realized that, look, if I want to do what I love, which is running, I need to update my training. I need to really get serious about recovery. I need to make sure that this doesn't happen again. 
And a lot of the training changes and upgrades that I incorporated into my training once I got healthy, and then, you know, the recovery strategy, the protocol I used, a lot of the strength work that I did, that really helped influence the beginning of strength running. And if I didn't get hurt, you know, I I wouldn't have had those six months of kind of being depressed and injured, but also I wouldn't have had strength running. And, And I don't think I would have evolved my thinking about training. And so I'm glad that there's that silver lining with that setback, but it was a very scary setback because I, I did think I was very close to quitting. That's really interesting to hear, right? Kind of your, your biggest, um, the the hardest point in your running career is what brought you here today. Um, I'm curious when you started your website and you started the blog, did you have a big vision in mind? Did you know what you would be doing over a decade later? Or did you just want to share some of the resources that helped you recover from your injury? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say I did not have a big vision. I knew that I wanted to do something professionally in the running space. I wanted this to be my career, my work, but I didn't know exactly what that would look like. And when I started strength running back in 2010, um, we're actually recording this. I think it's the 11 year anniversary of strength running this month in April. And I had no vision. I mean, I I wanted to grow the site. I wanted to, to offer runners, you know, coaching options and things like that. I, I never thought that I would have a podcast. I never thought that I would do video like I do today. So a lot of things have changed. Um, but I, I think overall, I always knew that I wanted to to help runners. I did feel at the time that I had something important to share with the running community because there was a lot of, you know, uh, feelings around that time that runners shouldn't be doing any strength training, uh, you know, no pain, no gain. So there were a lot of ideas in the running community that I thought were harmful, that I thought personally had negatively affected my training and and led me to this injury. So I wanted to present a, a slightly different view of training and how we can think of ourselves as more holistic athletes. And that, of course, doesn't mean that we're skimping on any of our running training, but it does mean that we have to do some other things and we're going to be a lot better for it. And so that was kind of the genesis of of strength running back in 2010, a little over uh, 10 years ago. But no, I had no vision when we first started. Can you share some of the first steps that you took when you created the blog? I know you had registered the domain strengthrunning.com a little bit earlier, but I'm curious as you were setting out to share the resources and offer a different perspective to runners out there, what were some of the first things you did from a business perspective to start to start an audience and to start growing it? Yeah, that's another great question. I kept things pretty simple because I was doing it as, you know, kind of a little side project. I had a full-time job at the time. I was living with my girlfriend who ended up (laughs) becoming my wife. And uh, at the time, I I set a couple of goals for myself. Number one, I'm going to publish two blog posts every week, no matter what. So a year and a half later, when I was getting married, I went on my honeymoon. There were blog posts going out during those weeks. And aside from the consistency factor, which you know, I'm even borrowing from my running philosophy here, I really wanted to try to make the articles that I was writing different in a certain way from a lot of the other training advice that was out there. And I wanted to make it more comprehensive. So, you know, back in 2010, 2009, around the, those, those years, there were a lot of very short form blog posts that didn't go into a lot of detail because of just the nature of the internet back then. And I tried to write bare minimum 1,000 word articles that went into more depth, that provided more examples, uh, that had a little humor in them sometimes. You know, I wanted it to not be so dry. And so from the content perspective, I wanted the content to be different and better at the same time. And then aside from that, I, I tried to go where the runners were. You know, I was on Twitter at the time. I don't even think I was on Facebook or Instagram, but I tried to connect with runners on Twitter. And one of the early things that I did was 
go to other locations on the internet where runners might be hanging out. Everything from, you know, the active.com forums to other websites where I did a lot of guest posting and writing articles for other websites that were around back then. And that really helped draw in, you know, a, a small audience at the beginning. And, you know, much like runners keep training logs, I kept a log of weekly traffic to the site, the rate of newsletter signups that folks were signing up to the email list, and I was communicating with them that way. And I loved seeing growth. Even if that growth was very small week by week, I looked at it very much like a runner looks at their training log. You know, I don't need to go from 20 miles a week to 50 miles a week in a month, but I do want to see slight growth from week to week. And that really kept me motivated at the beginning. Uh, it was really something that I just enjoyed seeing grow. And much like, you know, you see your training grow and, and that hopefully will give you results down the line. But at the beginning, it, I kept it pretty simple and uh, only started adding, you know, different strategies and, and social media channels and things like that over time. I love how the principles behind your running have informed the growth and direction of your business. I think it's really powerful. And one of the lessons I take away from my athletic pursuits as well is um, those lessons that extend well beyond. Uh, so at what point you're, you're writing these blog posts, you're writing guest posts on other websites, at what point did you feel like you had a viable business? And what gave you the nerve to quit your full-time job? <laughs> I certainly did need a little nerve for that. That was that was nerve-wracking for sure. <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, the only point where I thought I had a viable business was when I, I was making about the same amount of money from as my day job from strength running. And at that point, I was like, okay, if I really want to quit my job, I could because I've demonstrated three months of consistent monthly earnings that average out to be more than my day job. So that was like my threshold for when I was going to quit my job. And, and I really wanted to make sure that it was consistent. So I set a rule for myself, you can't quit your job until you've done three months of revenue that could support you. Um, but much like, you know, you know, someone who just starts out running, do, do you consider yourself a runner? Well, you've started to run. I think you're a runner. I always thought I had a viable business as soon as I was starting to to make any kind of money. And I don't think strength running earned anything for the first five or six months. I didn't try to monetize at all. You know, my goal was simply, let's create amazing content for the running community. And only later did I get into, you know, paid content. Um, and I, I remember first, someone emailed me and they asked me to start coaching them. And I said, yes, that was my first client. And it, it gradually grew from there. And, you know, over the course of a year or so, things started picking up and, and it kind of turned into, you know, what could replace my day job income. Um, and so that was super exciting for me because then I was like, great, now I can go do what I really want to do, which is make even more content. <laughs> and so I, it really turbocharged strength running, just having the full time during the day to work on the business, to communicate with runners to, to better figure out, you know, what are your problems? What are your needs? What are your, your hangups or the issues that you're facing in your training so that I can either create training programs that solve your problems or create content, reach out to, you know, podcast guests, wh whatever it might be to really solve those problems. And now that I have the time to do that, it is so rewarding because I'm doing exactly what I love to do. When you made that decision to leave your full-time job, was your inner circle of friends and family, were they supportive or did they think you're kind of crazy and will be back to the corporate world in a few months? A little bit of both, honestly. You know, there's certainly, you know, the friends that you have that, you know, they're your best friends. So they're going to, you know, not be 100% supportive. They're there to, to keep you honest a little bit. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I got a lot of support. They said, go for it. You know, at the time I, um, I wasn't, let's see, when I went full time with strength running, it was 2012. So I had been married about a year and, you know, a lot of the, the adults in my life were like, look, you are young, you don't have kids, you don't own a house, 
If you want to travel, if you want to quit your job to go do some other project, do it now because you're probably not going to have the opportunity to do something like this in the future. So I'm glad I got that advice because I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think your 20s are just an amazing time to experiment and take risks and do things that you might not have the flexibility to do when you're a little bit older. That's a really good point. Uh, I also share some of that advice with my friends who, regardless of their age, but maybe don't have those anchors in their life, such as children or a house. They may have a cat, but cats <laughs> manage pretty well, regardless of your income. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you were able to uh, hear the advice that you needed to kind of propel you in this direction. And what, what were some of um, your fears or any challenges you faced early on, if you, don't, if you remember any specific examples? Yeah, I would say that, you know, my number one fear was always the fact that, you know, for some reason, strength running was not viable, and I would have to go back and, and get a you know, quote unquote normal job, uh, because I just really wanted to continue working on strength running. Um, but you know, that, that fear generally subsided as strength running gradually grew, you know, year over year, um, in terms of challenges, you know, I feel very fortunate that there haven't been any enormous challenges and that's probably due to the fact that strength running has grown consistently, but we haven't experienced any kind of, you know, massive surge in growth, whether that was email subscribers or, you know, a million people decided to buy a training plan on one day, something like that. Uh, we haven't had any of those huge surges, which I think can lead to some challenges. The only other, you know, kind of uh, disappointments or, or challenges that we might have had along the way is, you know, certain, uh, you know, campaigns we might run, certain training programs we might launch they're not all as successful as other ones. And so we have some that are, you know, hands down crowd favorites, injury prevention for runners, team strength running, high performance lifting. People love those programs. I think they're very specific to goals or problems that runners have. And the feedback I've gotten from the running community has been amazing. But not every program is, you know, a, a wild success like that. And I, I think the the challenge for me was to not get hung up on, you know, a quote unquote failed product and instead just keep moving forward. And I think that's true in entrepreneurship or running. You know, you have a setback, you have something that doesn't exactly go the way that you'd like to. Well, that's okay. And you're just going to continue moving forward. You're going to learn from any mistakes that you might have made. Uh, you're going to do better next time. And I think that's the only path forward. So Jason, you've recorded over 180 podcast episodes now. Can you take us back to the beginning of the podcast? Um, what gave you the idea to go in this direction and um, how you go about selecting your guests and picking the topics that you cover? Yeah, I was essentially strong-armed into starting a podcast. I, I didn't think that I really wanted to do it. It sounded like an extraordinary amount of work. and. I was right in that regard. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Um, but no, I'm glad that I had some friends really push me to start a podcast because it's been one of those really rewarding ways for me to connect both with listeners and you know fans of the show, but also the broader running community, the way that I've been able to develop relationships with other runners, uh, meet really interesting people. And so the podcast has been something that I, I'm so glad I started and, and took kind of a leap of faith with that. Uh, the way that I select guests and topics is first and foremost, I kind of try to think about the listener, you know, what is going to help the listener improve their training. And, and that's what I think I'm trying to do here with the strength running podcast is create a training podcast that is very responsive to the needs of its listeners. And what I try to do is make every episode actionable. So you can pull very specific, actionable lessons, insights, strategies, or tactics from the episode to directly apply to your running. And, you know, I try to find guests that I think can help with that, you know, whether that is uh, a performance psychologist, whether that is a strength coach, I really feel like you know, if we look at any pro runner, they usually have a team of all these people around them that help them 
be their best version of themselves. And I think pulling from that ideal and having that inform the structure of this podcast, you know, you're not going to see just runners on here. You're not going to see coaches. You're going to see strength coaches. You're going to see performance psychologists, physical therapists. I'm going to do coaching calls. There's all these different elements of becoming a better runner and you have to work on your fitness in different ways. And what I try to do with the podcast is just bring subject matter experts into the show so they can share their expertise and hopefully give our listeners some nuggets of wisdom that they can use to improve their own training. Because I think the more you understand, you know, the, the, the process of improvement, the more you understand the training process and really what actually helps runners get better. You know, what, what are, what are those things? Is it CrossFit endurance? No, it's not that. Just kidding. <laughs> but you know, what what are those real important foundational principles? And how can we learn about them in a variety of ways to to better impact our training? So that's kind of my my broad thinking about the show uh, and topics and guests. I try to bring in people who have a lot of varied backgrounds and and subject matter expertise areas so that they can hopefully have a much more uh, holistic view of training, of fitness, of exercise physiology, because I think then in those situations, we can learn more and we can become better runners for it. I think one of the things you've done really well with the podcast is exactly that, is bringing in a variety of different experts. And it often answers questions I didn't know I had. Um, so listening to a dietitian or a nutritionist speak about fueling um, before, during, after a race, or what you should be doing over the uh, a longer duration of time. I think it's really interesting. And it's given me some great resources to dig in on topics where I'm interested. And I'm sure it's doing the same for other listeners where uh, if they're consistently listening or maybe reading the topic, the title of the episode, and um, listening to ones that stand out to them, they're guaranteed to learn something and have many more tools and resources to go and dig into to continue uh, learning about a specific topic. So I, I think you've done a great job with the podcast. And I'm a big fan, of course, and happy to be a part of it, too. Well, thank you, Anya. That that means a lot to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you recognize the fact that often we have questions that we don't even knew we had previously. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you were in class, someone would ask a question, you would actually learn from your classmates. And they, they would be asking questions you didn't know you had, but the teacher's answer would help you further your understanding of the topic. And that's what I try to do with the podcast too. So I'm I'm glad you picked up on that because I think, you know, inspiration and motivation and and great stories of adventures are, are really valuable. And I do highlight those on the podcast, but whenever we can really learn some practical strategies for improvement, I think that's also really exciting too. Yep. And so Jason, going back to strength running as a business and all the elements of it from uh, video training, uh, podcast coaching, everything that you've done, I'm curious if you think of yourself as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think I do. I mean, what I do is certainly a little bit unique. A lot of businesses don't operate the way that strength running does. I kind of think of strength running as a media company because of all the content that we create. But, you know, that's the type of business it is. So I do think of myself as an entrepreneur. And I think that title comes across as glamorous to a lot of people. Um, Can you dispel the myth for us? Do you, for example, work more than the regular 40 hours a week? Or um, is it a much more flexible job than a typical office job? I'm just curious about the realities of what it means to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think being an entrepreneur is very much like being a runner. You always want to post on Instagram the the finishing pic, the beautiful, you know, sunrise that you might see in the mountains on your morning run or all the glamorous aspects of being a runner. And and that's the same thing with being an entrepreneur, but the reality is most of it's a grind. You know, most of it is actually just work. And I think if you like what you're doing, much like if you enjoy the process of training, then it doesn't actually feel like hard work. Although, you know, there's certainly days where 
you you wish you had maybe less to do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I very much think that um, you know if if you're really enjoying the work that you're doing, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like hard work. But uh, th- that certainly doesn't mean that uh, it's all fun. Uh, it's all glamorous. You know, there's probably a lot of days where I'm working at seven in the morning and then eight o'clock at night. And while I do have some flexibility, you know, I typically will probably run at 8.30 or nine in the morning when a lot of folks are getting ready to go to work. I'm usually working before that and I might be working later on in the day. So while there is flexibility, I do feel like I think about my work a lot more than when I, you know, had a, a typical job where, you know, I was working a standard nine to five and you kind of just show up, you do your job, but you get to go home at the end of the day. Now I'm always thinking about strength running. I always have ideas. Sometimes I can't sleep because I'm constantly thinking about different ways of presenting ideas or different content ideas or people I'd like to have on the podcast. So sometimes it's challenging to to shut off that idea factory in my brain. But yeah, it's, it's something where, uh, I am working kind of a lot, but I would say that I don't actually work more than maybe about 40, maybe 45 hours a week because it's so spread out. So a little bit of that is on the weekend. A little bit of that is both before and after business hours, but you know, it's very much spread out. So there's, I, I do think a good amount of balance there. Do you struggle at all with accountability as far as uh, for people who have a typical job, for example, you're expected to maybe not show up at the office these days, but to be available online. Um, Whereas if you wanted to take five days off, no one is going to, you don't have to report to anybody what you're up to. Do you struggle with that at all? Yeah, that's a great question. A little bit because sometimes I am a human being. I feel lazy. I don't want to do things. I want to put less effort into something. Um, but I would say that at the end of the day, I'm a pretty competitive person. Uh, I want to do well. I have that slightly type A personality. And I very much brought that to my running. And, and I think I'm bringing it now to strength running. So yeah, I would love to, you know, take off uh, five days and go on a vacation. But that's really hard for me because I want to be consistent with the content schedule that we have. I want to be a consistent, you know, coach for my athletes. And, you know, a good example is yesterday, I went to the Botanic Gardens with my family in the middle of the day. But I was also working around that little siesta in the middle of the day, and ended up working a lot later into the night. So I kind of do both. And I think it's important for people not to be so hard on themselves. You know, you can work really hard, but you can also take some time off and, you know, be flexible with yourself. And and I think it's important whether we're talking about work, whether we're talking about running, you know, we're always going to have those times where we maybe want to do a little bit less. And sometimes maybe we want to do a little bit more. And that flexibility, I think, is super important. I think we're all beneficiaries of the way you approach uh, strength running in general. All of your ideas and consistency in showing up for all of us has uh, been very beneficial. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Anya. Jason, I'm curious if somebody wants to venture into this world of online blogging or coaching, what words of wisdom would you share with them? Well, of course, I'm going to say be consistent with whatever you're doing. Um, But I would say I think the most important thing is you have to be interested in what you're doing because it is work, like we've said a couple times now. And if you want to do any project, whether that is being a running coach, whether it's starting a website, starting another business, um, you know, running your first marathon, you know, that is a big project you actually have to enjoy the work because if you don't, you're going to quit much more easily. You're not going to really focus on the process. Uh, I think it's important to have a growth mindset about whatever project you'd like to accomplish so that, you know, you're always thinking that, yes, I can get better. I can learn this. I can improve. And if you do that, then you're probably going to be pretty successful. If you really like the work, if you're consistent, and, you know, if, if you also have some sort of you know, uh, a knowledge about whatever the topic is. Cause I've certainly 
talk to a lot of folks who want to be online running coaches and I ask them a couple questions. I'm like, oh my goodness, you need to read a couple more running books. Uh, so I think make sure you actually have some subject matter expertise in whatever area it is that you'd like to start working in. And if you have those three things, if you have the expertise, if you have the consistency and you love what you're doing, you're probably going to be quite successful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I think people who are also interested in the entrepreneurial world will um, take away some nuggets of wisdom from what you just shared. Um, I'm curious if you were starting your business today, say it was 10 years ago, except the world and the internet was exactly as it is today with all the social media, how would you go about it from today's perspective? That is another good question. Um, yeah, you kind of have to look at the the internet landscape and see where the opportunity was. And I'll be the first one to say that, you know, even though I had no strong interest in starting a blog because I felt like then I would be on this hamster wheel of content production for the rest of my life, uh, which I guess I am, but, <laughs> but if you enjoy it, again, it's not work. Uh, I definitely rode the wave of the popularity of blogs back in 2010, 2011. That's a little bit less popular today. And so while I think it's critical for you to have a website, you know, every business needs a website, I'd probably go a little bit more, uh, put more effort into different media formats, whether that is starting a podcast. I think podcasting is on the up and up right now. Uh, YouTube is also a really fascinating platform because of the potential to go viral. And then the social media platforms, I think, are more important today than they were back in 2010. So 11 years ago, I don't even think we had Instagram, but Instagram is a, a much bigger platform. There's more features on that platform, and the opportunity for growth is bigger. Uh, I think other platforms like TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, even if you're doing more business-oriented uh, business work or content, you know, so there's some interesting platforms available that you could harness to grow. I probably would focus more on those than on the blog. You know, back in 2010, it was blogging and guest posts. These days, I don't know, I might create more TikTok content. I might go harder on podcasting and YouTube, but I'd probably try to look for wherever the growing platform is, and then try to catch a wave on that platform. So should we expect to see you on TikTok anytime soon? <laughs> Strength Running actually does have a TikTok account, but I haven't really put much on there. It's definitely something that I don't feel like I have a lot of natural talent at, but I'm learning and I hope to get better at it. But <laughs> we'll see about that. Who do you look up to in the business world and who, uh, what, what sorts of books or people are you looking to, to help you uh, grow your business? Yeah, there's a couple people that I look to both for inspiration and then also as just uh, peers of mine that I think have done it really well that I respect a lot. Um, you know, Steve Cam over at Nerd Fitness, he has an unbelievable ability to write very interesting articles that uh, ha have become very popular. I think Nerd Fitness is is probably one of the best fitness websites out there. It's not really about running; it's about some uh, other, you know, kind of tangential fitness topics. But my God, Steve is just an absolute beast, and and he has uh, just a great head on his shoulders and and thinks really strategically about content. So I certainly respect Steve Cam and what he's done at Nerd Fitness. Um, you know, I would say uh, a leader in the online business world, I think, is Ramit Sethi, who writes the I Will Teach You to Be Rich website. And, you know, I bought that as a personal finance book way back in like 2008 or 2009. Then I realized he had a website and I started reading some of his crazier articles back, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but he's created something really amazing and uh, does a great work with you know, understanding his audience and helping them solve their problems. It's in a totally different niche, but I, I think it's interesting to learn from people in, in different industries. Um, and then in terms of, uh, 
you know, I get a lot of social media inspiration from Gary Vaynerchuk, who is kind of omnipresent. He's on every platform, publishes probably a hundred pieces of content a day. Now he has the advantage of being followed, you know, he's followed around by a film crew all day. And he has a team that's dedicated to helping him create all of this content because, you know, his his actual quote unquote day job is, you know, running a multiple hundred million dollar advertising agency. So you know, the content he makes, I think is very interesting. Uh, it's very forward thinking in terms of where social media is today and where it might be in the future. So I certainly learn a lot from him. Uh, and then in terms of books, what I really like is reading biographies of, you know, uh, other entrepreneurs, famous people. I really like the Steve Jobs biography. I really loved the Warren Buffett biography. Uh, I even loved, uh, it was a presidential biography on Harry Truman that my wife got me called The Accidental President that I thought was really fascinating. So I love reading case studies or biographies of successful people. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an entrepreneur. It could be a, you know, an athlete, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Rick Roll book, um, Finding Ultra, I found very motivating and just a story of personal change was, was really inspiring for me. And I think whenever I can be surrounded by people who are doing big things, important things, exciting things, uh, things that are difficult, but they're doing them nonetheless, I draw a lot of energy from that. So those are the people that I like to be around. Thanks for sharing all that. We'll be sure to put a list of those books or websites in the blog post with this podcast in case people are interested in checking them out. And along those lines, Jason, a lot of coaches um, themselves, both in the business and fitness world, have coaches themselves. I'm curious if you do as well for running. I don't have a coach right now, but I feel so incredibly fortunate to have had the privilege of having more than 10 coaches in total, you know, from assistant coaches to strength coaches I've worked with, um, and, and all the head coaches, of course, throughout high school and college. And what I found really valuable when I was uh, a post-collegiate runner was staying in touch with my old uh, college cross-country coach. And also, uh, I, I lived for a year with a, a friend of mine who was actually the assistant coach of the team for a while. And just having those people around you who can give you ideas about training, who you can bounce ideas off of. And, and I think that's one of the most important things is just if you have a question, I remember, you know, getting ready for my first marathon, talking to my former cross country coach. And, you know, this is the same coach who told me, you know, I, I spent most of my twenties running and I could not imagine quitting as a post-collegiate runner. And so he would very much encourage his athletes after they graduated to keep running. And he was a big reason why I kept running because he certainly encouraged me to do so. And so having those people in your life who you could just ask questions, you know, coach, I'm running my first marathon in six months. How do I train about train for this? How do we think about this? What are some workouts that you did back in the day? You know, and having those kinds of conversations can be so incredibly important. But, you know, one of the reasons why I don't have a coach now is because, you know, my training is so scaled back that I'm not doing the, you know, 80 miles a week. I'm not doing the crazy workouts anymore. So, you know, having that scheduled from a coach, I don't think would really help me too much because I probably wouldn't be able to, to do it as much. But I've certainly hired a lot of help in terms of, um, you know, consulting or just buying courses for different business things, uh, entrepreneurship topics. And so I've, I've shifted my focus a little bit from coaching to running from getting coaching on various business aspects. And I think that's been really helpful as I've grown over the years. That's interesting to hear because I view you as an expert, both in running and business. And, um, yeah, I, I'm interested that you're still getting help. I think that that goes a long way to the growth mindset that you were talking about earlier. Um, so I am also curious about the future for your running. Uh, you said that you're maintaining a good um, base fitness level and you're still doing some workouts. Do you have any specific goals for the future as far as races 
or anything else in running? And how are you going about or how are you going to go about achieving those? Right. So things are a little bit up in the air right now, obviously, because of the pandemic. I would love to get back into some more trail races uh, with the venue we have with the Rocky Mountains. It's just, you know, I can't pass that up. So (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to running some trail races, um, whether that's this summer or maybe this fall. Uh, I really hope some races open up once folks get vaccinated and, and we have some more um, you know, the, the case levels go down here in the United States. So I'd very much like to do that. Long term, I am flirting with the idea of trying to make a comeback with the 50k ultra distance. I tried that back in 2015, ended up with an injury and had to drop out, unfortunately. And that's one of the few things I haven't done yet in the world of running. You know, I've done everything from obstacle course races to the steeplechase, triathlons, duathlons, but I haven't ever done an ultra marathon. And so I think that is exciting because I like to do different things. This would be a whole different type of adventure. And, you know, the training would be really fun because I'd have an excuse to go out in the mountains and, you know, just run around the trails out there. So any excuse I can, <laughs> I can make to get out there is a good one. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, that will be a great motivator to kind of go explore your backyard. And I'm a big fan of ultras myself. So uh, I definitely would support seeing your progress and how you go about training for an ultra. Keep us posted on that, Jason. And I think I want to wrap up with just hearing about what you have in mind for the future of strength running. Whoa, big question here. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple things that I'm I'm thinking about. Couple things that are happening in the in the short to medium future. Um, a couple more specific things that are happening this year for you know future projects, things that are going to happen with strength running. Um, there's a few camps this summer that I'm just really excited about because I can't wait to actually see people in person. Uh, if we're all vaccinated, you're probably going to get a hug from me. I just can't wait. <laughs> but there is the Endeavor Run uh, camp out in Boulder, Colorado this August. Uh, I believe it is. Oh, let me go see here. It is uh, the Boulder retreat is August 5th through the 8th. I'm going to be there. I can't wait. There's going to be some other folks like uh Peter Bromka, who is uh, a former podcast guest, I think is also going to be there. Uh, Matt Fitzgerald, we joke around that we're brothers from different mothers, uh, and a couple other just great fixtures from from the running community are going to be there. So um, if anyone has the opportunity to make it to Boulder this August, you can go to endevorun.com, check it out. Uh, I would love to, to actually meet some of our listeners in person. And see if we can, you know, just have an awesome time out in Boulder. Um, now the other things we have, I do have a secret project. I can't share any details about it yet because I'm not sure if it's actually going to happen, but it would be extraordinarily exciting if it did. So I'm going to leave that as a big hook for our listeners. You got to stay tuned for that one. Another big, uh, update that is coming soon is we are redesigning the strength running website. So it is going to get a facelift. The content is going to be better organized. Uh, it's just going to be much prettier to look at much easier to use. That should probably happen in the next, I want to say two to six weeks, two weeks is very optimistic, but I'm going to try to stay, stay optimistic about the timeline there. So those are some things that are happening in, in the short to medium term future. I think in the long term, I would love to do more in-person work with runners, different workshops, uh, different events. Maybe there could be a, a strength running camp here in Colorado. All those things are super interesting to me and I think would better bring the running community together. Uh, and I also think I could do it in a, in a great way where, you know, you bring runners together and, you know, we can create content together. We can have an amazing time. We can learn about running and we can do so in kind of the strength running way, which I'm just thrilled about. I'm really looking forward to seeing all of that. Thank you for sharing and thank you for agreeing to do this interview. It's really interesting to get to know you and kind of behind the scenes on strength running and everything that you're doing. 
Well, thanks, Anya. Uh, Glad you had the idea for this. And I hope it helped a lot of our listeners just better understand who's behind the microphone, the history of strength running, and what we're all trying to accomplish here. So thanks, everyone, for being part of this community. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Bye. And that wraps my conversation with Anya about strength running in my background. I hope it helped you better get to know me so you understand the coach behind the microphone. Now, I also don't want you to miss our newest sponsor, Beam, and all they have to offer the running community. The two products I'm enjoying the most right now are their Elevate Hydration Line and Dream, their Sleepy Time Mix. The Elevate Hydration options include Balance, which has prebiotics and probiotics for happy gut, Energy with a small amount of natural caffeine. I had some earlier, if you are noticing that I'm speaking a little quickly right now. (laughs) And they also have recovery with collagen and amino acids. They're low in sugar. I love the taste of all of them, especially the watermelon flavor, which kind of tastes like watermelon bubblicious. And I love that they use responsibly sourced ingredients. Now, their dream product is very different. This is a powder that tastes like cinnamon hot cocoa, and it helps you get a better sleep. I drink a cup about a half hour before bedtime, and I never have any issues falling asleep, which is sometimes something I struggle with. It has THC-free CBD, melatonin, magnesium, L-theanine, and other compounds that help you get more restful sleep. Dream is helping me sleep more soundly, get more hours of restorative sleep, and it's making me feel a lot better throughout the day. They've sold over 1 million servings of Dream, and I don't want you to miss out too. Use code JASON, which is not case sensitive, by the way, at checkout at beamtlc.com, and you'll save 15% on your entire order. And if you couple that with a subscription, your first month savings will be 35%. Sleep better, recover faster, What's not to love? Anything that can help you better absorb your training, recover from it, and then adapt to it is something worthy of your attention. Go to beamtlc.com and use code JASON to save 15% today. All right, that's our show today. Thank you so much for listening and being part of our community here. If there's anything I can ever do for you, don't hesitate to send me a note at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time.